Welcome to Old Treasures Made New, your devotional podcast on the go or at home, where we read the scriptures and reflect on them with those from the past. Today we'll be reading Matthew 9, verses 27 to 38, and then through J.C. Ryle's expository thoughts on Matthew. Please take a moment to pause and ask the Holy Spirit to bring understanding and to apply what we hear. Matthew, chapter 9, verses 27 to 38. And as Jesus passed on from there, two blind men followed him, crying aloud, Have mercy on us, son of David. When he entered the house, the blind men came to him, and Jesus said to them, Do you believe that I am able to do this? And they said to him, Yes, Lord. Then he touched their eyes, saying, According to your faith, be it done to you. And their eyes were opened, and Jesus sternly warned them, See that no one knows about it. But they went away and spread his fame through all the district. As they were going away, behold, a demon-oppressed man who was mute was brought to him. And when the demon had been cast out, the mute man spoke. And the crowds marveled, saying, Never was anything like this seen in Israel. But the Pharisees said, He cast out demon by the prince of demons. And Jesus went throughout all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless, like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, Pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. This is the word of the Lord. There are four lessons in this passage which deserve close attention. Let us mark them each in succession. Let us mark in the first place that strong faith in Christ may sometimes be found where it might least have been expected. Who would have thought that two blind men would have called our Lord the son of David. They could not, of course, have seen the miracles that he did. They could only know him by common report. But the eyes of their understanding were enlightened if their bodily eyes were dark. They saw the truth which scribes and Pharisees could not see. They saw that Jesus of Nazareth was the Messiah. They believed that he was able to heal them. An example like this shows us that we must never despair of anyone's salvation merely because he lives in a position unfavorable to his soul. Grace is stronger than circumstances. The life of religion does not depend merely upon outward advantages. The Holy Spirit can give faith and keep faith in active exercise without book learning, without money, and with scanty means of grace. Without the Holy Spirit, a man may know all mysteries and live in the full blaze of the gospel and yet be lost. We shall see many strange sights at the last day. Poor cottagers will be found to have believed in the son of David, while rich men, full of university learning, will prove to have lived and died like the Pharisees in hardened unbelief. Many that are last will be first, and the first last. Matthew 20, verse 16. 
Let us mark in the next place that our Lord Jesus Christ has had great experience of disease and sickness. He went about all the cities and villages doing good. He was an eyewitness of all the ills that flesh is heir to. He saw ailments of every kind, sort, and description. He was brought in contact with every form of bodily suffering. None were too loathsome for him to attend to, none too frightful for him to cure. He was a healer of every sickness and every disease. There is much comfort to be drawn from this fact. We are each dwelling in a poor, frail body. We never know what quantity of suffering we may have to watch as we sit by the bedside of dear relations and friends. We never know what racking complaint we ourselves may have to submit to before we lie down and die. But let us arm ourselves quickly with the precious thought that Jesus is specially fitted to be the sick man's friend. That great high priest to whom we must apply for pardon and peace with God is eminently qualified to sympathize with an aching body as well as to heal an ailing conscience. The eyes of him who is king of kings often used to look with pity on the diseased. The world cares little for the sick and often keeps aloof from them, but the Lord Jesus cares specially for the sick. He is the first to visit them and say, I stand at the door and knock. Happy are they who hear his voice and let him in. Let us mark in the next place our Lord's tender concern for neglected souls. He saw multitudes of people when he was on earth scattered about like sheep having no shepherd, and he was moved with compassion. He saw them neglected by those who, for the time, ought to have been teachers. He saw them ignorant, hopeless, helpless, dying, and unfit to die. The sight moved him to deep pity. That loving heart could not see such things and not feel. Now what are our feelings when we see such a sight? This is the question that should arise in our minds. There are many such to be seen on every side. There are millions of idolaters and heathen on earth, millions of deluded Mohammedans, millions of superstitious Roman Catholics. There are thousands of unsaved Protestants near our own doors. Do we feel tenderly concerned about their souls? Do we deeply pity their spiritual destitution? Do we long to see that destitution relieved? These are serious inquiries and ought to be answered. It is easy to sneer at missions to the heathen and those who work for them, but the man who does not feel for the souls of all unconverted people can surely not have the mind of Christ. 1 Corinthians 2 verse 16 Let us mark in the last place that there is a solemn duty incumbent on all Christians who would do good to the unconverted part of the world. They are to pray for more men to be raised up to work for the conversion of souls. It seems as if it were to be a daily part of our prayers. Pray therefore that the Lord of the harvest will send forth workers into his harvest. If we know anything of prayer, let us make it a point of conscience never to forget this solemn charge of our Lord's. Let us settle it in our minds that it is 
one of the surest ways of doing good and stemming evil. Personal working of souls is good. Giving money is good. But praying is best of all. By prayer we reach Him, without whom work and money are both in vain. We obtain the aid of the Holy Spirit. Money can hire workers. Universities can give learning. Congregations may elect. Bishops may ordain. But the Holy Spirit alone can make ministers of the gospel and raise up lay workmen in the spiritual harvest who need not be ashamed. Never, never may we forget that if we would do good to the world, our first duty is to pray. That is the end of Ryle's expository thoughts for these verses. Let us carefully consider what we have heard today. May the Lord be pleased to bring the growth for his.